Hello, everybody, and welcome to this new episode of the Global Kidney Care Podcast. My name is Roberto Pecoa Filho. I'm a nephrologist and the deputy chair of the Education Working Group at ISN. And together with Dr. Smita Sinha, a nephrologist from Manchester in the UK, we'll be chatting with two very special guests. Our first guest is going to be Dr. Vivek Jha, the president of the International Society of Nephrology. Dr. Jha is going to provide an overview of how COVID-19 impacted the global nephrology community and what the International Society of Nephrology is doing to lead the global fight against the pandemic. Then we'll talk to Dr. Fergus Kasky, a member of the ISN Executive Committee who leads a data collection initiative that might help us to understand the current and future challenges related to kidney diseases and COVID-19 and how to prepare for the future ahead of us. As, as usual already, <laughs> Dr. Smita Sinha uh, from the UK. Welcome, Smita. Hi, thank you. So, yeah, good to be back doing the podcast. So, as usual, I'm in uh, Manchester in the north of England, but it's sunny, so it makes a change. Today we have a very special edition of the podcast because we are uh, going to have the opportunity of chatting with the president of the ISN, Dr. Vivek Jha. Uh, Vivek, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Roberto and, and Smita, for inviting me. Crazy times, right? Um, uh, Vivek, uh, how, how are you doing and how's your family doing? Thanks, indeed. Uh, these are crazy times. Uh, I don't think any of us uh, would have anticipated uh, six months ago that we would be where we are today. Thankfully, I and my family are safe, but I'm not sure we can say the same about millions and millions of people around. How are things in India? Things in India don't look good at this time. Uh, we are seeing a day-on-day rise in the number of cases. Just yesterday, we had uh, more than 67,000 cases in a day in India. So currently, the numbers are going up. I would say it is perhaps one of the top three or four you know, countries in, in, in terms of the number of uh, people who have had COVID infection. So far, there is no sign that uh, the numbers are stabilizing or going down. So yeah, we... You know, we are, we are just waiting and watching. This is despite the fact that we have had a very, very stringent lockdown for almost three months, starting in March. During those months, the number of cases were not so high, but after the lockdown got lifted, uh, mostly because it became unsustainable. The number of cases has uh, you know, kept on going up and still goes up. It, it is indeed a matter of concern overall. And Viveka, I saw that you co-authored a paper uh, fairly early on in the um, in the pandemic around the impact on maintenance dialysis provision in India. Has that evolved since the pandemic has um, has changed in India, or are there still challenges in patients accessing dialysis because of a shift in resource? Yes, thanks, Mita. So we did. Uh, write a paper together with colleagues from uh, other parts of the world because uh, there was a major concern during the early weeks about uh, patients who were on dialysis because uh, we know they're immunosuppressed. At that time, we did not know what uh, is the risk of people who are immunosuppressed uh, you know, in terms of them getting COVID infection. And if they get COVID, what happens to them? Further, we realized that despite the fact that a number of countries around the world were going into lockdown, patients on hemodialysis needed to get to their dialysis centers and be dialyzed in a safe way uh, without introducing additional risks both to patients and to healthcare workers. So that became a very, very important issue. And we tackled that uh, with, the, with the help of expertise from around the world. Uh, we we were particularly uh, grateful to our Chinese colleagues and our Taiwanese colleagues who were very quickly off the mark in developing guidelines on um, management of dialysis patients. And so we used that as the backbone of developing uh, some recommendations which were published in Kidney International, the ISN official journal. Now, subsequently, we also worked with, uh, with uh, colleagues from elsewhere to develop some recommendations on uh, ensuring how the hemodialysis units can prepare themselves uh, to manage uh, patients on dialysis, to receive them, to safely uh, sequester them during dialysis and to get them out of the dialysis units. So those the hemodialysis unit checklists were adopted by a number of countries. Uh, there were also uh, uh, 
disseminated through the International Society of Nephrology website, through the ISL Academy, and also taken up by the WHO in developing their own recommendations. So that was uh, uh, helpful and gratifying. It's safe to say that uh, over the course of the last few months, um, many hemodialysis units have now become quite used to appropriately managing patients with COVID infection. So uh, I think m- many of the recommendations which, uh, which came in the initial few weeks have now become quite mainstream and part of uh, the standard operating procedures of most dialysis. It's interesting to see how ISN reacted to the crisis with a, a series of initiatives Later on, we talked to Fergus Casey about the, the data collection uh, projects, but uh, there are many others like, um, you know, the dissemination of recommendation, as you said, and some other educational activities too. So how do, how do you see the ISN role in this uh, from a broader perspective? As you know, the ISN's mission is to ensure good kidney health to, to all people worldwide and to remove inequities around access to kidney health. And that is uh, what has underpinned the ISN's approach to uh, everything pretty much that we do, especially the COVID pandemic. Uh, It became apparent in the early weeks that there was a great thirst for knowledge. Uh, People just didn't know how to approach this, how to manage patients who developed kidney injury during COVID uh, illness and patients who who had already pre-existing kidney diseases and they're at risk of developing COVID. So in addition to the paper that was published in Kit International, the ISN very quickly organized uh, a webinar uh, and invited uh, Dr. Francesco Iannuzella, who is a nephrologist from Italy, where the pandemic was raging at that particular point of time. And it, it was really interesting because uh, that first webinar actually crashed uh, because our webinar platform was not yeah. able to uh, take on the number of individuals who tried to log in at the same time. So we had to act, record the webinar and, and uh, make it available on the ISN Academy. And then we followed it up with a live question and answer session where Dr. Ian Zella uh, responded to questions from the, from the audience members around the world. And again, that was a hugely uh, well-subscribed. Since then, the ISN has organized a series of webinars basically to f- fill in the information gap and to, to flatten the information asymmetry that exists around the world by, uh, by helping people who wanted to know more about it, to learn from the experience of people who were dealing with COVID pandemic in the real, in the real time. For example, uh, the use of peritoneal dialysis in managing acute kidney injury for COVID. It became apparent in... Uh, in, in the first few weeks when the COVID pandemic moved through the world, uh, through Western Europe and through United States, that in addition to ventilators, one of the other major equipments to run out very quickly was the dialysis machines and, and continuous replacement therapy machines. And there, uh, the uh, good old peritoneal dialysis came to rescue. And uh, it people relearned uh, uh, peritoneal dialysis in a way, especially uh, the modern generation of nephrologists who have done very little peritoneal dialysis, especially for patients with acute kidney injury. So that was a matter of great curiosity. So the ISN organized uh, a webinar in association with International Society of Peritoneal Dialysis and really had expertise from around the world, from UK, from US, from South Africa, and other parts of the world on that webinar. And that webinar was also hugely uh, well attended. So uh, using these kind of examples, uh, we can tell you that uh, the ISN has tried to fill in the information gaps around the world. Uh, We have uh, made sure that we disseminate education materials in different languages, for example, in Spanish, in Portuguese, in French, et cetera, to reach uh, colleagues from all over the world. We recognize that not everyone speaks English around the world, uh, even though that is, you know, the so-called lingua franca that we all use. Uh, We also recognize that uh, it is not just the doctors who are engaged in providing healthcare to people with COVID, but also allied uh, healthcare professionals like nurses, like other categories of healthcare workers. The ISN uh, allied healthcare working group created uh, resources which were primarily directed towards providing information to 
uh, allied healthcare professionals like nurses, etc., and they are also available on the ISM website. One uh, feature which we are really proud of was uh, a description of experiences from around the world in uh, how COVID was managed by nephrologists. And uh, so those global reports on the ISM webpage uh, carry reports from uh, nephrologists from, for example, Senegal, from United States, from um, other countries, Hong Kong, et cetera, on how they managed COVID. So it captures really the diversity of presentations, uh, the diversity of health systems, uh, that uh, encountered suddenly this uh, new problem and uh, uh, tried to develop approaches of, of dealing with it, uh, with it in their own way, which was hugely instructive uh, because we know uh, more than anything else that ultimately it is how the health systems are structured that determines how people living in uh, those parts of the world will receive healthcare. So uh, learning from how one healthcare system addresses this and adapting and implementing it in other healthcare systems was, uh, was something very interesting. And it happened more or less in real time during the COVID pandemic. I mean, one of the things that really stood out for me was the way that ISN stood up during the pandemic and became almost the global um, go-to place for nephrologists. Um, and part, uh, and I, You've touched on it, you, you know, you worked with the ISPD, but you also worked with international societies, country-based societies uh, to pull all that together. Um, and it makes you wonder, why has why have we not done that before? And is this, you know, to the extent that we did with the pandemic, um, and is this an opportunity for the nephrology community to coalesce around the ISN and continue to drive that forward outside uh, COVID? Do you see the, the same opportunities there? Because it really has brought us together that's how it looks to me <laughs> anyway yes Mita, we we have a new normal and this is a normal that we had not uh, actually sat back and thought about because uh, we had just gotten used to working in a certain way and the pandemic forced us to uh, sort of open our minds to alternative approaches uh, just like you and i and roberto and others are talking now using this medium how common was it in the past? We did know that there was uh, online, there were online platforms, but they were used as, uh, as when there was no other option and then that you had to use it and you had to sometimes talk to people around the world. But most of the times we would actually hop on a plane and uh, get to some other part in the same country or another country, even for a two hour meeting, right? Uh, that has changed. Uh, what uh, this pandemic has also done is to give us uh, an opportunity to, uh, to stay at homes. So uh, we are not spending so much time on air, uh, airports and in aeroplanes, uh, which means that uh, we are using that time to, uh, to, co to collaborate in other ways. Even though uh, we recognize the variations globally, this pandemic has been a great leveler in some ways as well. Because we realize that we learn uh, very quickly and we learn from each other. And that's the best way of doing it. And how do we do it? That can happen only by collaboration. The ISN has always had a very collaborative approach. The ISN has uh, uh, its regional boards. Uh, the regional boards represent uh, the ISN members from different parts of the world. So we, we simply brought it more to the fore, in fact. Uh, ISN has uh, more than 100 uh, affiliated societies. These are national societies of nephrologies in, in all parts of the world. And when these national societies of the world uh, come calling to the ISN, the ISN responds. That's what, that's what we do. Uh, so we continue to work with all the national societies to support them in their information needs. Uh, we have had, as you know, Ted Smith, a, a series of webinars with different national societies of nephrology, and there are more planned in, in the coming month. Uh, just during this uh, pandemic, uh, we also uh, had this uh, unfortunate uh, explosion in, in Beirut when uh, a large number of people uh, actually uh, you know, uh, died and also were injured, and, and people developed crush injuries and they developed kidney injury. So the ISN has a renal disaster preparedness task force they got in touch with our colleagues in Beirut, uh, the Lebanese Society of Nephrology and the International Society of Nephrology are working together to make sure that uh, the response to uh, uh, this, uh, this unfortunate disaster it can be coordinated. 
uh, I have to uh, also, uh, you know, uh, just uh, mention the role of other large uh, societies as well. For example, European Renal Association, the American Society of Nephrology, uh, they have also done their bit in, in providing support to other uh, hungry members uh, with, with the help of uh, making sure resources are available and so on and so forth. Uh, the ISN is working along with these societies as well. Uh, the International Society of uh, uh, Pediatric Nephrology, uh, uh, IPNA, etc. So, you know, uh, collaboration is something which is critical. Uh, learning from each other is is something which we have always done, but I think we are doing it in in more real time uh, during this pandemic. The last thing to say about this collaboration is uh, the ISN's unique relationship with advocacy organizations and multilateral organizations that help coordinate global efforts, such as the World Health Organization. Uh, the ISN is uh, the only kidney organization to be in official relations with the WHO. Uh, and we are uh, we have been working with WHO in, in you know, helping set up uh, global kidney health initiatives, uh, which could hopefully be uh, implemented by different countries through uh, advocacy by WHO. We are working with non-kidney disease-related uh, professional societies uh, such as the World Hypertension League, the International Diabetes Federation, the World Heart Federation, and so on. How this becomes relevant is the understanding that people with uh, chronic diseases, whether it is heart disease, kidney disease, diabetes, etc., are at increased risk of, uh, uh, of adverse complications of COVID. So that makes it our responsibility for us to address uh, these comorbid conditions and even multimorbid conditions. Yeah, this is, um, this is a fantastic summary of this, you know, all that is going on. And I, I'm here, uh, Vivek, uh, thinking about uh, how amazing this is that you're doing that from, you know, your, your office, your lab, your home. I, I always associated the figure of uh, Naya Sen presidents to a globe trotter, someone who's like, you know, spends most of his time flying. And, I, and that, that's, that's, that was probably true in the past for presidents that, um, that, uh, that served ISN before you. You're probably the ISN president with less mileage during the last six months of the history of ISN. Um, so how does it feel? I mean, it's, it's really quite amazing. Do you feel that the society is really prepared to be um, sort of to, to be run in, in, a, in a remote way? It, it looks to me that, you know, the robust educational platform, the social media presence, the you know strong staff at the office are, are working very well and this has been a challenge to that and um, is, your, is your impression that society is is ready for for the new normal look roberto uh, this is a, such a critical question it wasn't easy for the isn uh, when uh, you know covid first broke uh, because we had this broke just at a time when we were getting ready to uh, get to abu dhabi for the world congress of nephrology this year I'm sure all of you were planning to be there. And we had to make a very, very difficult decision of uh, canceling that meeting. It sounded like uh, uh, such a difficult decision at that time. And now in retrospect, it seems like a no-brainer. I mean, that's the only way it could have gone down. Uh, but uh, it, it took uh, us uh, several phone calls, several email exchanges to come to that decision uh, to make sure that everyone was happy with it. So uh, it wasn't easy. And, and you say uh, that uh, we, we like getting together as, as professional colleagues. And uh, I think we have to admit that there are lots of values in face-to-face -face, uh, meetings. And uh, we, uh, we, we managed to get things done in face-to-face -face meetings. Uh, in, we, have had, we have managed to get things done in face-to-face -face meetings that we thought were not possible uh, without having a face-to-face -face meeting. But we now have learned how to, you know, how to manage those efficiently. There are still a few things that uh, that will happen better if we meet. But I think we realize that not everything requires us to meet face to face. So that's that's important. One of the uh, one of uh, my visits that I really treasure as the ISM president was to uh, Peru uh, in 2019 for uh, for the uh, for the SLAN meeting. 
and uh, the opportunity that I got to meet with so many colleagues from Latin America, uh, the different uh, presidents of nephrology of the different uh, national societies in, in Latin American countries, and also different members to understand from them. Uh, the SLAN colleagues had organized uh, uh, a special session for uh, the, the ISN Sister Renal Center uh, program awardees from the Latin American region to present their work. And it was so inspiring to see what they have been able to do. I think many of these things uh, cannot be done remotely. Let's be honest. Uh, for that, we need to be together. Uh, but we are where we are. I think uh, uh, we, ha we, we have to manage. I have to give a lot of credit to the ISN staff who changed uh, the way the ISN functions very quickly. Uh, literally, the term turned on a dime, as, as the saying goes, and uh, started organizing uh, uh, the ISN activities uh, using uh, the most appropriate tools for the pandemic. Uh, one of the examples is the way we are talking right now. So this, this podcast is, is a direct output of, of the pandemic. We got Spita because of the pandemic to work with ISN. Uh, the, uh, the ISN staff who is, uh, who is actually muted during this webinar uh, or this podcast, uh, who's organizing it, their uh, workload increased several folds during this pandemic. The number of uh, webinars that the ISN has organized and the staff quickly responded. So I think uh, a lot of credit goes to the ISN staff, uh, which has allowed us to do this uh, updating the ISN website with new information on COVID had to happen in more or less real time. And again, the staff stepped up and, and performed all the, all, all the things that, are, that were needed to be done. While that was happening, even though a few of the routine ISN programs uh, really hit, had to be paused, for example, the ISN fellowship programs, uh, the ISN education ambassador programs, which were dependent on, on physical visits and, and physical presence in some other location, but again, uh, many of those were converted in, 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 to be delivered in a way that, again, are appropriate for uh, where we are uh, in this particular point of time. So uh, the ISN has continued to develop some of its programs. Uh, there is a new program which will come up soon called the Emerging Leaders Program, which, uh, which will help in capacity building of young leaders uh, in, in, who are interested in kidney health around the world. And this is, uh, this is something which is really exciting. We are looking forward to it because this goes beyond just uh, uh, the usual cadre of nephrologists. So this is a truly multidisciplinary program. We want to engage with uh, other uh, professionals in non-health professionals even, uh, for example, health economists, uh, bureaucrats, uh, social scientists, uh, uh, entrepreneurs who are all... Uh, who want to come together with the common goal of providing better kidney health to people around the world. And how do we develop capacity in leadership uh, to do so? And all of that is moving ahead. So uh, the ISN has continued to uh, deliver on its mission uh, and will continue to do so, uh, hopefully uh, in, in, in ways that are most appropriate for where we find ourselves in at that particular point. Well, Vivek, and, and, and that uh, sagtails very nicely to something else I wanted to uh, ask you um, is related to the celebration of the 60th anniversary of ISN. Probably not the best time to celebrate, but I mean, the celebration is just starting, right? And it, it will continue in the coming months. So so, so what, what should we expect um, from the... Uh, 60 year, uh, 60 year anniversary of ISN in the coming months. Well, uh, this year does mark the 60th year of the ISN. Uh, it's it's a milestone which we need to be you know uh, celebrating in some ways, as you say. Uh, and that celebration truly started uh, from January of this year. So the Kidney International every month is carrying a feature, a special feature, which marks the 60th year of the ISN. Uh, which uh, talks about the, the milestones in, in uh, you know, nephrology publications in Kidney International and, and sort of uh, recognizes uh, the research highlights uh, through these publications and through these summary publications that appear every month in Kidney International. Similarly, uh, the ISN website recognizes 
the various uh, activities that have taken place in different regions around the world, uh, which are important as, uh, uh, as again, milestones, so to speak, in, in those different parts of the world, which marked the growth of nephrology uh, wherever you know, uh, they happened. And this latter bit is quite diverse, and it's really interesting to see how a nephrology developed in different parts of the world by going through those, uh, those events. And there are a number of things there that we did not know about and, 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 and bring uh, appreciation on all the people who actually uh, managed to do that uh, under extreme adverse circumstances uh, in, in those parts of the world. Kidney International also published uh, a feature on the last 10 years of nephrology uh, written by uh, the past president, Dr. John Feely, uh, that describes how the ISN has uh, supported the growth of global nephrology in the last 10 years. The ISN website is going to change very soon, and that will be, uh, again, uh, in commemoration of the 60th year of the ISN. Uh, it will take on a more youthful look, even though it is 60 years old, uh, uh, and and it will become more more member friendly. Members will find it easier to navigate around the website, uh, access information, and make it much more friendly to modern times, which is uh, which is also relevant to uh, the way we work because we need to find online spaces to collaborate. So the new website will allow much more, um, many, many more opportunities for collaboration uh, for every uh, type of activity, which might include uh, exchange of uh, information, you know, sharing of guidelines, also developing collaborations and sharing of these uh, new education opportunities through the new ISN platform. So there are a number of things that are happening. Of course, we do want to uh, do a few things uh, physically, but unfortunately, that's not going to be possible. Uh, definitely not in the 60th year of the ISN. Well, Vivek, um, thank you so much. I mean, it, it has been uh, personally uh, a great experience to have worked with you for the last um, several years already. How, how long have you been with the ISN? Well, forever. <laughs> <laughs> Feels like it. Well, uh, it's it's interesting you ask that question. Uh, I was uh, uh, I was an ISN fellow uh, more than uh, twenty now, almost twenty five years ago, and that's uh, that's how my uh, I I was an ISN member even before that. But that really brought me into the fold of the ISN and made me into an ISN believer. And I would say that I have always been associated in some way or the other with different programs of the ISN. And, uh, you know, uh, it, it's really an incredible honor for me uh, to be today working with uh, such a dedicated uh, group of nephrologists uh, who serve as volunteer leaders of the ISN, but also to be working with uh, this large uh, membership of the ISN uh, around, spread around the world that is uh, so committed to, uh, to supporting the mission of the ISN. And I would like to re remind everyone that it includes not only the nephrologist community, but the community of other uh, colleagues who are engaged in providing kidney health, uh, medical, medical colleagues uh, like uh, uh, surgeons, pathologists, uh, immunologists, uh, other colleagues, but also uh, allied health professionals like nurses, dietitians, uh, social workers, and so on and so forth, type, you know, dialysis technicians and all of those. So everyone is engaged in, uh, in, in providing kidney health. Uh, we shouldn't uh, minimize the importance of the, uh, of, of the policymakers who, who really decide how the healthcare will be delivered. So we have to continue to work with them because they are very important stakeholders. And last but not the least, our patients uh, for whom we do everything. And uh, in last many years we have learned we should have learned many many more years ago but we indeed have finally to uh, to hear the voice of the patient to learn from them to involve them not only in, in developing our programs but also in in uh, allowing them to shape our research uh, agenda and to tell us uh, what are the most appropriate things for us to do as a global community well, again, uh, Vivek, thanks so much. I mean, in name of the uh, global nephrology community, um, I wanted to just um, 
say that we, we, we do appreciate your dedication and standing up for the kidney community, uh, leading the fight against disease, uh, kidney disease in this uh, difficult times. Thanks so much for this uh, discussion today. Um, it was a pleasure and um, hope to see you again soon, as soon as possible in the future. Yeah. Yes, thank you, Vivek. Absolute honour. Um, I'm late to the ISN uh, team. You guys have known each other for a long time and I'm embarrassed, uh, but I really look forward to being part of the ISN moving forward. And I think the COVID pandemic, if one good thing has come of it, it really has brought us together and, and your leadership in the ISN in particular has been key to that. And I've really enjoyed the conversation today. So, yeah, thanks from me as well. Thank you, Smita, and thank you, Roberto, for this conversation. It's always energizing to talk to young people. Uh, as Robert Frost said uh, many, many years ago, as I get older, my teachers get younger. So, uh, so you know, great talking to all of you. Uh, and, and thanks also to Susanna, who's uh, facilitated uh, this recording uh, and is very quietly listening to uh, our conversation. enjoying the podcast and you want to know more of what ISN is up to in the field of online education, visit the ISN Academy at academy.theisn.org. There you'll find thousands of hours of educational materials such as curriculums, case-based presentations, on-demand webinar recordings, and so much more. That's the ISN Academy at academy.theisn.org. pleasure of talking to um, a nephrologist from the University of Bristol, uh, Fergus Kasky, who has been um, uh, recently involved in ISN activities. Uh, Fergus um, is part of the executive committee of the society, and um, recently he was uh, appointed to be the treasurer for the ISN uh, for the coming years, and, uh, but perhaps most, most importantly, the uh, an activity that uh, Fergus has been um, involved with and leading is um, is an activity related to COVID-19 uh, data collection. Fergus, um, welcome to the Global Kidney Care Podcast. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, thank you, Roberto. Thanks for the answer. Thank you for the chance to, to talk today. Great. So, um, COVID nineteen resources is is a is a priority for the ISN, and I was looking at the website this morning. Quite impressed about the amount of stuff that uh, that is accumulating there in terms of um, um, educational material and um, this description of global experiences with the pandemic. So what's your your impression about um, you know, ISN involvement in? Uh, pandemic, especially the contribution that um, ISN is providing to the community. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's a, an amazing resource, and I, I can take no credit really for for that section of the website. Vivek has led that and uh, brought together with a whole range of people from across the world some really interesting resources, case studies, and uh, from different parts of the world, which which are fascinating to read and give a re- give a really human picture to the COVID pandemic. I think. I mean, I'd you know. If you've got a chance to dip into that, I'd you know I'd recommend making a coffee and uh, going to the website and having a look at uh, what everybody's produced from from all over the world. Yes, and ISN is perfectly positioned to really lead this global initiative, right? With all the affiliated societies and uh, regional boards, so it's um, I think it's a, it's a great match with the um, ISN mission and ISN's um, capabilities, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think having that infrastructure, that series of the 10, 10 regional networks, regional boards to, to use to uh, to coordinate the uh, the sort of collection of, uh, of data is a big word, but sort of experiences and the impact and uh, to be able to advocate, to look out for where patients are, are um, being uh, disadvantaged because of the, the COVID pandemic, um, to be able to then use use data and use influence to advocate for patients in in, uh, those parts of the world uh, is something you can't set up rapidly. So you need the existing infrastructure to be able to then scale it up rapidly when when the need arises. And I think ISN has has done that brilliantly. I guess guess this this is really a nice um, way of um, 
referring to the pre-existing resources that could be leveraged to you know situations like that and share rr has been uh, going on for a while with the support of isn and, um, and this is actually the first pillar of um, activities related to data collection right yes yeah, so share rr was um it sort of came out of a conversation between myself and John Feely in Mexico City at the World Congress of Nephrology. And, uh, and we, we did a pilot uh, over a couple of years to see um, whether it was possible to s- set up more of a, a, a working group to, to deliver uh, work around registries and data collection. Uh, it's it's been uh, very uh, prescient, really, because um, the the need for data it came out around the time of the the, the first global kidney health atlas, uh, which obviously uh, collects data from existing sources and and the survey itself. Um, but it, that and the global uh, burden of disease project demonstrate the importance of data if we're going to uh, get kidney disease on the map and and raise awareness of it and. You know, uh, work with other non-communicable diseases to to uh, for people to take a, a kidney health seriously, and that share R stands for sharing expertise and establishing renal registries. Uh, it is not an ambition to set up a global renal registry. Uh, that is a huge exercise and not something that you know I see us uh, doing. But it, it, so it, it is really fits in with ISN's uh, mission, which is. Uh, to build capacity uh, in countries where they don't have capacity and to use where people have expertise to share that expertise. And within registries, there are some really passionate people who who, who think uh, you know, registries are really important um, and they've been working in the registry world uh, often with a lot of, without a lot of recognition for many, many years. And they're, they're passionate about it and they're happy to, to volunteer and help, help people like themselves in other countries. And it was about tapping into that passion and capacity and enthusiasm around the world to help others. Uh, who are at an earlier stage in setting up their registries to get to get established and learn those lessons rather than having to learn the lessons uh, themselves for the first time, you know, learn the lessons that we've all painfully learned and hopefully sort of get there more quickly. So Fergus, um, it sounds brilliant and clearly there's a lot of time been put into it from people from um, existing registries, but have you had people coming to you wanting to set up registries locally? And if so, um, how have you supported them in doing that? And, um, you know, has COVID accelerated some of that perhaps? Yeah, you, absolutely. So in, so how have we gone about it? I think recognising the, the, the sort of challenge as there always is with, with capacity and resource the, the initial thing is to, we did a survey of registries around the world to look at what each registry's expertise is. And the plan is to, to sort of tabulate that for a signposting type uh, service. So if, you, if you're interested in collecting data using a spreadsheet or a bit of paper or data extraction from electronic health records, you go to, you can maybe use a sort of filter function and go to these seven registries and, and they've, they've uh, given their contact details to be be approached for advice um, and and maybe sort of mentor type schemes uh, once you identify a registry is doing similar things then maybe setting up and, and it's not the obvious ones I don't think it's it's not necessarily USRDS or ERA DTA or UK renal registry it's who's who's context is most similar to yours and who's trying to find whose solutions will work best in your country and then connecting into to, to those folk and um, but you're right covid then you know so we, we were going to set up a network of people with a passion about registries uh, but needed a kind of a nida something to focus around uh, and and covid came along um, and and so all of a sudden there was a a need for data and a need to share to share you know expertise for, that registers have in collecting data and so um, that was that, that uh, led us to to then contact all of those registries again and, and start creating this map of activities that are going on around the world to record uh, harm from COVID in people with kidney disease and I guess the coverage of um, you know people participating in the discussions with um Share RR is quite uh, quite global, right? I mean, you do have regional registries like the uh, Latin American uh, registry, uh, which is uh, led by SLAN, 
You have the Afran registry for Africa. There are connections with Europe, obviously, and also with Asia and uh, Asia-Pacific region. So, and the U.S. through the U.S. RDS uh, connections. So it, is, it seems to me that this is really already a group of people or a group of people representing registries that have a global coverage which offers a great opportunity. Yeah, and so we've got a fantastically strong advisory group, as you say, uh, North America, uh, South and Latin America, uh, Europe and Africa, uh, North Asia, if you like, with the Japanese uh, registry, and South Asia, if you like, with um, with Australia and New Zealand. But you know, that's quite an exclusive uh, little club, and you know, we struggled and felt uncomfortable with that for quite some time. And lots of other countries have been very keen to come on board, but that the advisory group needs to be small and you know, and, and not too uh, too. To, uh, overbe- you know, overbearing, and, and so the, hence the idea of the network, where everybody can get involved, and, and the network will have uh, work working groups to, to help with particular tasks. So, you know, one of the one of the, the tasks that we see ourselves doing is uh, developing a toolkit for establishing renal registries, mapping out the various steps that you need to to, to to follow along the way, and then maybe with two or three working groups, uh, developing uh, some guidance to help countries who who are on that journey. And there are you know examples of that that we we're looking at from sickle cell disease as well as uh, from from North America some guidance. But very soon we'll be looking for uh, some registry experts to chair a couple of small working groups to to build that toolkit and and then get that onto the ISN website for the for the countries. So that in that way, I hope we will be able to extend beyond the sort of symbolic global representation using those six six big national or international registries to actually in, in, uh, include everybody. Uh, Fergus, on this podcast, we're hoping we'll have um, a wide range of listeners from all over the world, but also different grades. And we may not have uh, international society leads, but maybe perhaps people earlier on in their careers who have an interest in looking at data on this scale within their countries, you know, how would you encourage them to get involved? Is it via the societies or is there a mechanism via the ISN um, or is it very much structured, structured within countries? I think the best thing to do is to connect uh, look, locally or nationally um, uh, and uh, as, a, as a trainee, then I think you want there's a lot there's always expertise within your country uh, and, and actually that's the most relevant expertise to to you to start with and then um, absolutely I mean ISN one of the things that we want to do within CRR is to take advantage of the you know, fantastic opportunities that there are through the uh, you know the capacity building work of ISN, and so the, the travel grants, the fellowships, etc. Um, and so I, I think if people if people want to work, you know, work with their local group that's trying to build a registry, collect a little bit of data, get an abstract together, try and get travel travel grant funding or something to get to a world congress, and and then connect in through you know with a through a mentor type scheme to another registry, then and, and hopefully we'll get. You know, we'll get. Uh, as I said earlier, I think a lot of the a lot of the the best lessons come from peers that are near you, uh, in a way, uh, rather than uh, maybe the the most obvious sort of established registries, maybe in high income countries, and certainly. We, we ran a workshop in Melbourne, um, the, the last uh, World Congress of Nephrology, uh, and we were very excited. We had some big name speakers, but actually what struck me was how much they learned from each other. Uh, and the, you know, when they talked about their own registries and talked about their own struggles and how they'd overcome those struggles, that's what made them smile and that's what made them relax and that's what made them sort of they, they took away much more from talking to each other and lessons they'd learned than, than I think they did from the really established people who've solved solved those problems you know generations of nephrologists to go and the ones doing it now are cruising maybe that's not quite true but you know relatively speaking they're, they're facing different challenges why don't we shift gears to the data collection from a more individual data collection perspective I'm talking about the second initiative from the ASN in terms of data collection, which is the coronation. So this has been recently launched. It's quite an interesting and, and obviously a very uh, ambitious um, initiative to collect patient-level data 
specifically related to COVID-19. So what is, what's your initial impressions about that initiative? I think, uh, you know, ISN is, like all charities, trying to do as much as possible with the resources that it has and is not in the business of putting lots and lots of money into setting up its own registry. Uh, and all of the infrastructure and support that we require around that. And, and that's true of sort of all, a lot of these things. Um, and so we're looking always for partners around the world who are keen to collaborate with us and keen to share their expertise and, and maybe volunteer some of their capacity alongside some of the ISN capacity to deliver things as efficiently and effectively as possible. And we were delighted when Thomas Amstra from Cambridge came along and offered to uh, use his database team to develop this individual patient level register of people with COVID. He was doing that uh, for a piece of work within the UK anyway, and so it was some some fairly minor alterations required to make it relevant to a global high, middle and low income audience. Um, and so that's really, it, it was an opportunistic thing, piece of work being done in the UK. Thomas obviously chairs the ISN Act uh, Clinical Trials uh, um, Initiative, uh, and so very aware of the opportunities uh, in ISN, uh, and he made the offer to ISN to, to, to do this. Creating what kind of what kind of data can you can you find in their registry? So it's um, launched uh, just in the last couple of days. I mean, it's anonymized data is the first thing. Although it's individual patient level, it is anonymized. So we have no way of identifying patients, which was a, a, an important point because it makes the information governance and the uh, the permissions and the ethics uh, and the consenting uh, much easier. Uh, people still need to check locally if, if these things are required, but um, it's an anonymized uh, database. It collects um, demographic and, and risk factor data on individual patients with, with COVID and kidney disease. Uh, and then it collects some information about the treatments that they've received and whether they were admitted to hospital. Because this is ISN and because this is a primarily an advocacy tool, um, we were interested in whether people uh, needed admission to hospital or needed renal replacement therapy or needed admission to intensive care, but this was not available because of limited resources. And so it asks questions about that. And then it looks at outcomes. It looks to see how these people fared over, over the uh, weeks and months after, after their COVID infection. So it's, it's a, really quite a detailed database, but with some fields, a very small number of fields, which are mandatory, deeper fields that people can go into if they want to submit uh, more data for their country or region. And Fergus, you said that um, it, clearly the ISN's approach is advocacy as well as looking at outcomes. How will this be shared with the, the global community? Um, you know, and, and how, when can we expect our first instalment? Yeah, excellent result. And we've been asked that a lot, but this is a shared uh, collaboration between ISN and Cambridge. The data are jointly owned by the two organisations. The, uh, on the website, there's some instructions about uh, applying for access to the data from outside of uh, Cambridge. Uh, and there's a, a sort of data oversight group that will consider applications and release data. In terms of when we expect the first um, release of data or report of data, um, I think in a, it'll be a couple of weeks, I would hope. We'll be able to you know, produce some numbers uh, of countries taking part, sites and countries taking part and, and patients um, patients that are reported. Uh, before, before we start doing analyses, that, that'll be a bit longer than that. But I think we need to show, show that the activity is happening, make people aware of the activity and then begin to work on the analysis that will take a bit longer. Yeah, and hopefully if something that's out quite quickly will then encourage more people to register as well. So then the... Exactly. Yeah, the quality absolutely. of the data improves as well. And now I'm looking forward to, to seeing that. Thanks. Well, I guess uh, f finally the, the third initiative going on is uh, maybe even more recent than the other two we described, right, Fergus, and uh, emerged from some, some discussions um, that we had in the past weeks about the um, collection of data more related to the impact of COVID uh, to services, especially dialysis service across the globe. How is this uh, coming along? So, so uh, you know, quite a few weeks ago, uh, Roberto, you 
approached Vivek and myself about this possibility of collaborating with uh, with DOPS. Uh, in fact, we'd been we'd been in communication about uh, how DOPS is going about collecting COVID data, and, and DOPS is on our our map. All initiatives collecting COVID data around the world. So, and you know, it just you know, it seems to me that again, going back to this idea of organisations with ambitions to do good and. Uh, uh, and work for kidney health around the world. ISN working together with DOPS is, is a really nice partnership. DOPS has got the methodology um, uh, very well respected um, and very efficient, whereby you randomly sample uh, centres within a country. Uh, and for ISN, for me, that seems a perfect approach rather than trying to ask all ISN members to fill in a survey and then you have no idea about response bias and the representativeness of your responses. Here, if, if we if we adopt a DOPS approach uh, and take random samples of sites within countries, we will be able to say our, our, our picture is representative of, of uh, the impact of COVID on kidney services around the world. And so it was a fantastic uh, idea uh, to uh, to take the work, the survey that you guys had already developed for your uh, currently live uh, 19 countries taking part in DOPS and see if we could uh, adapt that and offer it to the other countries uh, in the world um, through our regional board uh, uh, infrastructure. Do you think the scope that um, DOPS will extend out into other countries as a direct result of this particular initiative with COVID? I think you'd need to ask somebody in DOPS if that was... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I think um, you know, the, to, to, to do DOPS in a country, you know, as a study requires considerable investment in funding, uh, and it, it may it may show people the the benefits of adopting a sentinel you know sentinel sampling type approach to, to collecting data. I think there are big advantages to a blended approach to to quality assuring within a country rather than trying to collect all the data items on every single patient in, in the country. Uh, I, I think the, the DOPS practice monitor, for example, approach to monitoring things in a, a random sample of sites within the US is a, is a really efficient way of, of doing that. So I think uh, you, you know, I, I can see the, the being countries maybe uh, getting interested in, in the DOPS methodology through this. But this is really an opportunity that arose for us to, to collect data for advocacy uh, using the DOPS methodology with the DOPS forms tweaked for low and middle income countries, then using our ISN infrastructure to uh, administer that and support the, the, the sort of chasing up of responses for that around, around the world. Uh, so it seems it seems a great a great um, marriage of, of of strengths and benefits. What we're discussing here is is leveraging resources and taking advantage of the needs, the urgent needs that emerged with the pandemic, and that that's really really the the way that ASN has been you know yes. strategically working, right, Fergus? I mean, not really create things from scratch, but use its um, you know, it's outreach, it's membership, it's uh, connections to really make things happen. Seems to me like a, a smart approach to, you know, get things going with the resources that are available. Exactly. I think and we have a, a duty and a responsibility, I think, to get the most out of, uh, you know, every dollar or euro that, that is available. Uh, and you're right, both of those examples. Uh, so Cambridge was planning to develop a registry. Uh, and so it was a small incremental cost to uh, sort of tweak that to make it you know, relevant to uh, middle and low income country setting. I mean, it's easy for me to say small incremental cost for Thomas and the Cambridge team. It was probably a considerable incremental effort to, to tweak it but and, and for DOPS as well you know you guys have developed this uh, this uh, uh, survey and with all your expertise in developing surveys you've already administered it to the 19 active countries uh, HD and PD and and so yeah we, we're tweaking it as, as you know trying to make it make sure that it's relevant to middle and low income countries as well yeah again an incremental cost to do that rather than starting from scratch 
and and so on. And do you have um, a sort of launch date for the uh, DOPS COVID side of things? Or is that just running? Um, It's running very rapidly in the background. Uh, So we had, it's probably uh, only officially been happening for about the last 10 days. Uh, Roberto, is that true? Something like that, two weeks. Um, And uh, we have additions and comments on the survey from a middle and low income countries perspective uh, I sent those to DOPS yesterday they are uh, being considered by by the DOPS team at the moment uh, who will then be adapting the survey uh, maybe adding some additional response items sort of not available or not applicable for example for low or middle income countries or maybe asking some questions uh, adding some questions that are relevant uh, to low and middle income countries that, that weren't thought necessary for um, high-income countries. So that those changes, I think we agreed about a, a week or 10 days, and then we'll pilot the, pilot the survey again. And so hopefully within about three, three weeks, um, we might be able to get it out through the regional boards um, to the societies. And then it's a society decision uh, uh, whether they wish to take part. This is an optional thing. We're offering this uh, to all countries. The societies will be asked to randomly sample 20 units within their country uh, and ask them to fill in, fill in the survey. It's amazing how quickly we can get things done during a pandemic. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, the recovery trial is the class example, but I think I wouldn't want to compare this to the recovery trial. But yes, this is uh, moving really fast and fantastic to see. Yeah, but from a from a nephrology perspective, I mean, it is a very important initiative, and I'm 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 trying to project what will be able to see in the future. I mean, we are, we're talking about registries, talking about um, ways to collect data in different places of the world, a possibility of patient level, patient level data collection uh, in coronation and, and the, let's say, uh, practice patterns in, um, in, at, at the service level really will provide a very rich um, database, which can be probably combined in a way to, to really generate comprehensive data that might really help people. I was just uh, the other day uh, discussing with some colleagues from different pl- uh, parts of the world. And um, another challenge is, is really to, to do this on the fly, right? The, you know, things are ongoing and, you know, some places are just starting to feel the problem and some places have gone through, you know, probably the peak or the worst situation. I guess this is one of the advantages of, of having this is that you, you might, might actually use the experience from some countries that, that had, had already gone through um, the, the worst and uh, use that experience to, to help countries that are just now facing it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another key element of this uh, that we haven't touched on is capacity building. So if, if, if we take this ISN DOPS example, so the opportunity to bring on board uh, a number of young nephrologists uh, from ISN, from uh, low and middle income countries to uh, provide input into the redesign of the survey, but also to get involved in that and to watch uh, DOPS at work, uh, work with the, uh, the experts at DOPS and see how these things are done uh, and then take that back to their countries and uh, you know be a little bit more informed and, and be able to think about doing these things within their own country so I think that then that ties into this capacity building uh, um, objective of, of the ISN. Is there an opportunity because you will have this via share RR to see countries that are similar in profile who have been through their peak as it were um, and almost signpost them towards those that perhaps haven't um, been through it because they may not know it yet or may not have that infrastructure already in place. And so prompt capacity building. So I, I think sure are, so, so coronation would be collecting individual patient data on numbers, but I guess it's really offering that to countries that don't have that infrastructure already. So if you take the UK, for example, we have the registry collecting data in pretty much real time. And, and so it would be crazy for somebody within the UK to to start entering data into coronation, for example. Uh, similarly, within Europe, we are not encouraging people uh, in Europe to use coronation because the ERADTA has got a, a sort of COVID registry for you with kidney disease. So we've agreed to sign post out to ERADTA for that. So I think it's there's not a single one go-to place for your 
for your tracking of COVID experiences. But um, if, if you visit the data collection section on the COVID website on the ISN website uh, and click on uh, on a regional board, you can see uh, what is happening, who has got the experience, who's collecting data in what ways, and you can contact there's usually a contact email for you if you're wanting to suddenly find out how to start collecting data on covid in your you know there's a range of uh, examples of activities that are going on okay that's really helpful it all fits into the NSAID kidney disease strategy which is is about to be published and been worked on over the last year and a half for two years um, one element of which is a work group called uh, uh, monitor, which is uh, a cross-cutting work group uh, in which the ISN wants to build two capacities to monitor uh, kidney health, if you like, uh, to, to, to support its activities. There are t- that brings together ShareRR and the Global Kidney Health Atlas. So if you like, collecting data through registries plus using surveys to uh, monitor numbers and uh, capacity and resources and so on. Really, I I see within Monitor, what we're trying to do is continue to build on that capacity, those tools that we have to collect data, to advocate for kidney health, um, whether that's anonymized individual patient level registries or whether it's uh, a slightly more mobile, agile uh, way of doing surveys than the sort of what is now every four years global kidney health atlas uh, yeah. you trans- translated into many many languages really thorough really in depth but as a result is only every four years if, if we need something that's nimbler more agile we, we need slightly different tools so it's about developing the tools for the f- for that group to to be able to use as appropriate uh, as needed by the other groups the dialysis the transplant the conservative care the ckd groups within within the NSH kidney disease strategy fergus any any final words for our listeners of the global kidney care podcasts well, it, it would be you know be great to have people interested in this area to get in touch uh, and to uh, try and find out more about the various things that are going on. We're always looking for uh, people to get involved, whether it's to join a, a, a working group to help with the toolkit or join a working group to help with developing some educational material around registries and collecting data. Uh, or to get involved in some of the research with the data. So if if you think you're interested in data, think you're interested in using data for advocacy or research, then uh, get in touch and we'd love to hear from you. That was Fergus Keski, nephrologist, talking from the hospital at the University of Bristol in the UK. Thanks so much, Fergus. Thank you, Roberto. Thank you, Smita. Thank you.